Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Welcome to the Big Life Podcast on Full Service Radio. We are Lina Salazar and Ingrid Faishus, broadcasting live from the lobby of the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C. The Big Life brings inspiring people to talk about their stress story and what they learned from making changes. We also sit with experts, therapists, scientists, and holistic professionals who shed light on the effects of stress on your well-being and give you the tools to help you live a bigger, more fulfilling life. I am Lina Salazar, a health coach and creator of the Food Sanity Program. I work with women whose main source of stress is their relationship with food and with companies that believe in meditation as a resource for employee well-being. And I'm Ingrid Vaishus, also a health coach. I help my clients discover achievable, sustainable strategies to better health so that they can reduce stress, avoid burnout, and thrive at home and work. I work with both individuals and organizations. Today's show is all about how we can reduce stress around money by investing time and energy on our financial well-being. Studies show one of the biggest stressors in our lives is money. In its annual Stress in America, Paying with Our Health study, the American Psychological Association found that nearly three-quarters of adults report feeling stressed about money at least some of the time, and nearly a quarter report their stress level as extreme. Yet, talking about money is still considered a taboo for many. The topic generates confusion and anxiety, and so many try to pretend it doesn't exist. However, not dealing with these issues out of fear or lack of knowledge and have a long-term impact on our overall well-being. Today, we're joined by Manisha Thakur, a nationally renowned financial literacy advocate for women and host of the True Wealth podcast. Her work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, NPR, and others. She is also the co-author of two personal finance primers for young women in their 20s and 30s called On My Own Two Feet and Getting Financially Naked. Thank you so much for joining us today, Manisha. We're excited to have you on the show. Oh, Ingrid, Lena, it's wonderful to be with you both. Manisha, thank you so much for accepting our, our invitation. You have a very interesting story. And right now, on sort of like in the world of finances and, and work with women, right now you are working on financial well-being. So why don't we start there? What is financial well-being? I would define financial well-being as having the ability to meet your emotional, your social, and your physical needs without placing undue stress or, or feeling undue stress on your finances. And so oftentimes people focus so much on, um, their finances as a separate entity but the point is getting your finances in order is so that you can have a life so that you Mm. can feel 
wellness and balance in all of these areas. And so to talk about finances, you know, I used, I, I, I worked for a wonderful firm called Brighton Jones, a, a, a wealth advisory firm. And at first we thought about calling me the, uh, uh, running our financial education program, <laughs> but we realized that was just too narrow. And so mm-hmm. financial wellness really is encompassing um, money as a tool um, in your overarching lifelong journey to be your best self. Yeah. And how does your personal story inform the notion of well of financial well-being? Oh, hugely. So I um, grew up in a small town in Indiana, um, and I am um, uh, mixed race. So my mom is from upstate New York, blonde hair, blue eyes, and my dad is from India. Um, and um, I grew up in a... a community that was completely white and so I was a very very much of an outlier and um, I was chubby and I had acne and coke bottle glasses and I (laughs) didn't fit in and but I had two blessings which were my um, dad and my mom and my dad taught me very early on Um, he's been in finance all his life and he sat down with me in a unique moment of father-daughter bonding and he showed me literally how to calculate on a proper financial calculator at age 11 if I saved my babysitting and lawn mowing money what it would grow to if I invested it well by the time I was 65 and 70 and when I saw those numbers I was like <laughs> I want that pot of money <laughs> and my mom has been a longtime feminist and she always taught me that money gives women voices and choices. And so those twin forces mm-hmm. um, really started my interest in um, personal finance. And at the time, I wouldn't have called it um, financial well-being, but now I can see that's what it was always about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Manisha, you said something that I would like to unpack. It's actually what your mom said about yeah. the, the power that money gives you. And it's my own personal experience. I don't know if it's my culture, I'm originally from Colombia, or maybe uh, the mindset that comes from religion, right? These sort of like resentment towards liking money and yeah. fear of liking money and, yeah. and wanting to think small because that has more merit, let's say, or morality. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you have to say about that in terms of like money and power? Yeah, so money is so loaded, and I have been heavily influenced by a a book um, written in 1992 um, called Your Money or Your Life, Mm -hmm. Um, and I've had the good fortune to get to know personally the the, um, co-author, Vicki Robin, and she and her co-author put forth this notion that money is really life energy. Money comes into our lives because we have done some kind of work or somebody near and dear to mm-hmm. us has done some kind of work for which they've received financial compensation. And when we spend that money, what we're spending is life's energy. Mm-hmm. So I stopped thinking of money as this like evil thing that only greedy people try and amass, but rather a life force, like an energy that's flowing all around. And you could use that energy for positive things or you can use the energy for negative things yeah and so when i think about you know my mom's statement on money gives women voices and choices 
I think, wow, I mean, what a tool to use to help your family, to help someone you love, to help yourself, nourish yourself mm-hmm. so you're in a better position to nourish others and make a positive impact in the world. And that's a very different definition, I've noticed, than the male energy around money, which is more, bigger, power, greed. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to say that all men think that way. There are women who think that way, too. So it's more of a masculine energy mm-hmm. versus, I would argue, the way I'm talking about it is a more feminine energy. And that can be embodied by men as well. Yeah. It's a sure. yin-yang. Yeah, I feel... Yeah, I totally resonate with this conversation. And for me, the conversation around money was more of a, it has to be hard, right? You have, to work, you have to work really hard to earn it. And the harder you work, the more you should earn. But it should not be something that comes naturally or easy. And if it's easy, then you're not doing the work. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. And I think for women, there's that, that utter, uh, added layer. Because in my experience, a lot of the women that I work with talk about not having a conversation around money and maybe having somebody else take care of it. So not owning your finances, not looking at those numbers. And I'm wondering, do you see this in the women that you work with or in the families that we work with? Do women have a tougher time kind of handling like this whole conversation around money? You know, what's really interesting is I um, have had the opportunity through um, the work I do to work with three distinct groups of people. Mm-hmm. Um, at Brighton Jones, we have two different um, div- divisions, you could call it. One where we deal with individuals with a million dollars and more. So I have the mindset of a woman who's in a very comfortable financial situation. And we have another division that helps people with, you know, once you've got $50,000 in savings and you're looking for help with investing mm-hmm. from that point mm-hmm. forward. And then in a lot of my pro bono work or teaching, I deal with people who are in debt, have no savings at all, and are just trying to figure it out. And what I've found across all three buckets is it's, it's like a bell curve. Um, mm. A tiny fraction just absolutely pathologically cannot look at it. Like it's just, it's, there's something so deep um, mm. that they can't go there. And then at the other end of the bell curve, there are people that are just like, wow, this is fascinating. I, I want to get on this. Mm-hmm. And then the vast majority are in the middle of the bell curve, which is, ugh, I don't want to deal with this. And it's, ugh, for different reasons. For some, it's overwhelm. I just don't have time. For others, it's, it's boring. Why would I want to deal with this? For others, it's, um, this has never been presented to me as my venue as a woman. Um, you know, my brothers were always mm-hmm. talked to about it. Um, my husband talks about it with his friends, or my boyfriend talks about it with his friends, but I don't talk about it with my girlfriend, so it's not really my thing. So, but the vast majority, and what's so fascinating to me is that it, it, that mindset, is, that bell curve is identical across those three different income categories. And that's what I find fascinating. Do you, do you find that it's easier to work with people or that they let's say are more open to the discussion about finances once you reframe it as how about we align the way you spend or the way you save with your values and the things you care about do you find that that makes the conversation easier oh yeah it it changes everything night and day um the first time i saw this algorithm was on the whiteboard um of 
uh, our CEO's office. I went in and, and John had on the board, um, uh, the way you spend your time, the way you spend mm-hmm. your money, and what matters most to you in life. Mm-hmm. And his observation was after 20 years of managing money for very wealthy people, um, many of whom ended up not being happy despite this enormous wealth, was that that equation was out of alignment for them, that um, either time and money for all of us are limited resources. Mm-hmm. Um, at, even if you're you know, Jeff Bezos and you're the wealthiest man in the world, you still have a a limited amount of money, huge as it is, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and he still has the same amount of time as the rest of us. Yeah. And so it is the art of melding those two together in a way that they fully support what matters most to you in life. That That's what brings joy. And when people think about money management, um, dealing with your money, um, uh, talking with a financial advisor or doing it on your own, in support of what matters most to you in life, well, that's a whole nother ball game. Yeah. yeah. I love how that just speaks to the fact that the mindset is very powerful, right? When it comes to anything in life. And the yeah. reason why I asked that question was because I, I see that in my clients, there is less resistance to making small changes when we say, how about we just do a, create a compass of the things that help you guide your decisions and the things that you care about and the things that you don't care about. And then it's like, Oh, okay. This makes more sense. It feels easier, right? Instead of like something you should do. It, the, you know, Lena, I think about it. You know, you work with women who have or, or individuals who have a disordered relationship mm-hmm. to food. And that, unfortunately, is something I can identify very tightly with. And um, I recently have become um, uh, ill. I'm ill at the moment. Mm-hmm. I have over pushed myself to the edge and I have... Um, super high levels of Epstein-Barr virus, mm. which is what causes mono, yeah. and my inflammation rates are through the roof. And for years I've known, don't eat sugar and flour. They are toxic to your body. But hearing that is like hearing somebody say, save for your retirement. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't You did something wrong. Than- You're a bad person. Right. Yeah. And, and so it didn't resonate. And then when my, my SED rate, my inflammation rates got so high and the doctor said, oh, my God, either you have a tumor or we need to get you on an anti-inflammatory diet to see if it's your diet. Suddenly, not eating sugar and flour were not because there's something wrong with me. It was this experiment to see how I could get back to health. Um, and so it completely changed the way I interacted with sugar and flour and you know uh, uh, as a result like my urges to binge have almost been eliminated (laughs) because I don't have sugar in my system and that's what I find with personal finance that once it's framed this way your desire to keep adding things to your credit card that you know you can't afford um, or your resistance to um, looking at your budget to find the money to put in your retirement account goes away because now it's for a positive mm-hmm. um, nourishing reason. Yeah. Yeah. And I think along the same lines, it's, it resonates to me with the women in terms of success, right? We look mm-hmm. at success as reaching this X amount of money in our bank account. But mm-hmm. when we reframe the conversation around success, then it suddenly lets us breathe a little and we move away not only from looking at success from the financial perspective, mm-hmm. but also from mm-hmm. feeling fulfilled and having larger meaning in our life, right? What 
does success look like for you now? And how do you reframe success for some of the people who may be struggling with their finances, for example? And how do you make it more achievable to look at, look at it from a different optic? So I um, spent my junior year of college abroad at Oxford University. And on the way back, I, I don't know what propelled me to do this, but um, yeah, I'm sitting there in a middle coach seat in the back of the airplane, and I had a cocktail napkin, and I was thinking back on like what I had learned and what I was hoping my life would be like going forward, and I drew this triangle. And at the top of the triangle, I wrote the word simplicity. And in the bottom of the triangle, left-hand corner of the triangle, I wrote small joys. And in the bottom right-hand side of the uh, triangle, I wrote financial independence. And every year at uh, the holidays, when I'd be thinking about New Year's resolutions, I'd revisit that diagram and see if there's anything I wanted to change. And I'm turning 50 next year. And so, I mean, this is a... a 27-year-old diagram, and over the time, the only thing I've added into it is curiosity and in the center. And so that's how I define success, is simplicity, small joys, mm-hmm. um, uh, financial independence, which now maybe I would call financial capability or stability, mm-hmm. um, all wrapped around curiosity. But that's not to say that I've always been balanced. I would Mm -hmm. say a good portion of my life, my triangle was tilted entirely on that financial independence piece. Mm -hmm. And it, I completely neglected two things that I would consider to be hallmarks of success in uh, having a very simple life, um, meaning a life full of the things that matter to you, not extraneous things Mm -hmm. um, that matter to other people. And, taking pleasure in small joys and I had lost that mm-hmm. um, and so that's how I think of success mm-hmm. um, but I want to acknowledge that uh, I certainly haven't um, it, uh, I haven't practiced it always and it, it you know it sometimes I need a good hard slap in the face through health or other issues um, or a divorce mm-hmm. I was divorced four years ago and that was a major slap in the face in terms of not putting love family ahead of my work Mm -hmm. it was a good reminder i feel like this is a good point for a short break where we'll continue to talk to manisha takor when we get back a national renowned financial sorry literacy advocate for women and the host of the wealth podcast Thank you.
Welcome back to the Big Life Podcast on Full Service Radio. We are Ingrid Vaishus and Lina Salazar, broadcasting live from the lobby of the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C. For those of you just joining our conversation, we've been talking to Manisha Thakur, nationally renowned financial literacy advocate for women and uh, the host of the Wealth Podcast about the importance of financial well-being and why money can be a source of stress. In the second half of our conversation, we'd like to continue talking a little bit more about the important stuff we talked about, success, um, and also get practical. How can people start looking at their finances um, if there's something that, one, causes stress or they've been neglecting for a while and just really hadn't had the energy, time, uh, or need to deal with it? So, Lena, do you? I know you yeah, mm-hmm. I wanted to sort of like continue the conversation a little bit and tie it to what you were saying about um, that triangle, which I thought it, it was a, like a great way to illustrate your values or the things that ca- you care about. And you talked about how there's no judgment here, of course, how sometimes it's tilted more towards the, the financial stability or financial independence. And how do you see that connected to the mindset and, and the, the idea of enough, of having enough Right. And how people understand having enough. I think that is one of the defining questions of our generation. What is enough? I think we have a really distorted sense of what is enough. There are no boundaries. And there's a there's a a Buddhist phrase that says boundaries set you free. Mm -hmm. And for prior generations, there were boundaries. You didn't have easy access to credit. If you didn't have money. You couldn't spend on it. And what's happened now um, with the advent of credit, which has been a great thing, it's been, it, it, for example, the ability to utilize credit enables many women to start mm-hmm. small businesses of their own. Um, but once you let that animal out of the cage, the ability to spend money you don't yet have in hopes that it will build something that will generate enough money to pay it off, you also open the door to just being able to spend money you don't have. Mm-hmm. And then you turbocharge that with social media where so often the images we see are so curated. And so it starts to feel like, well, everyone else has this. Why shouldn't I? And so then you go and you spend the money that you don't have to um, to meet these images. And this is nothing new. Um, there's a, a a comedian named Will Rogers who said most people spend money they don't have to buy things they, they don't, need. don't need to impress people they don't like. Mm-hmm. And he said that back in like the 1920s. Yeah. So, I mean, this is not a new phenomenon. Yeah. So how do we, I mean, around the conversation about enough, but also how do we get nitty gritty, right? So when you're working with someone, how do you start the conversation? What can we start thinking about as we're moving to be more informed about our financial choices, about our financial literacy, how we reach that point of what enough is for us? What's, how do you start? Mm-hmm. So I start with there's two different ways to think about enough. One mm-hmm. is the numerical way and one is the soul way. Mm-hmm. And what you want to do is meld the two. But let's start with the one that has a firm boundary, which is the financial, the mathematical part. Mm-hmm. So what I like to say is we all have a pie. It's a hundred, it's a circle, which is a hundred percent of the income that's coming into our lives after tax. Mm-hmm. 
And the, in my opinion, this, one of the problems we have with money um, is that people don't have a sense of what healthy spending looks like. And many could be say it's the same thing for nutrition. People don't ha- often have a sense of what healthy nutrition looks like. Mm-hmm. And so with money, the formula I like is one that Elizabeth Warren um, popularized over 25 years ago. It's the 50-30-20 rule, and it says 50% of your take-home pay should go to needs, 30% to wants, 20% to savings, and I adjust that for the modern times where so many people are struggling with student loan Mm -hmm. debt um, to 20% is savings or debt pay down. But you start with that, and... um, now, if you live in a high-cost area of the country, you may not be able to keep your needs to 50%. Your housing, transportation, food, um, insurance, and mandatory child care that you might need to work might cost 65 mm-hmm. or 70%, in which case your pie is still 100 So the answer is one of the other slices has to go down, and you don't want it to be the 20% slice. So then you really have some tough choices. Do you want to live in a smaller place close in? Do you want to live in a bigger place and have a longer commute? There are trade-offs. But it's getting real and honest with what your what the numbers look like within the constraint of your 100% pie, knowing that 50, 30, 20 is a good starting place, but you get to decide the slices for yourself. You just don't want the slices to add up to more than 100. Mm -hmm. And for most people, the slices are adding up to more than 100, and that's why you're in debt. Mm -hmm. And then you can meld that with um, what what does enough feel like to me? What does joy feel like to me? And then you can start using those two to, to take a look at items in your slices. And so the most practical tip I can leave listeners with is take your personal income and divide it by 2,000. 2,000 is roughly speaking the amount of hours in the U.S. that we spend on work-related activities, work, commuting, et cetera. It's basically 40 hours a week, 50 weeks a year is how you get to 2,000. So if you're earning $60,000 a year, divide by 2,000, you're earning $30, and that's an after-tax number, you're earning $30 an hour. And now you can take a look at something in your needs budget. And, you know, for every $300 that you think it's a need, that's 10 hours of your life energy that is needed to be expended in order to to, um, pay for that. So now you can take a look at your rent um, in $300 increments and ask yourself, you know, how how much of my life's energy do I really want to be going to my rent or my mortgage? Mm-hmm. And so it's the 50-30-20 mathematical analysis combined with what makes your soul come alive. And the bridge between the two is using this hourly wage ruler um, of converting your income into an hourly wage. And then you can see how many hours it costs you to have each item in your 50-30-20 uh, pie. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about abundance? Yeah. Yeah, I think my mind always goes to sort of like the more like higher level concepts that you cannot touch. <laughs> but, right. but I feel it's so important to talk about abundance. And I also would want, personally, I, I, I am working on understanding that concept better and living it. Mm-hmm. So I would love you to touch upon it. 
So I was at a yoga retreat recently, and we were talking about your dharma, your purpose, mm-hmm. um, your sankalpa, the, the daily activities that um, you engage in to support your purpose, and then your vikalpas, the mm-hmm. things that keep you from getting there. And mm-hmm. um, my vikalpas I wrote down were resisting um, slowness, stillness, and abundance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think so many of us resist abundance because we define it as tangible things versus intangible things. Mm-hmm. And the most abundant things, and I would argue for most people, the most valuable abundant things are not something you can look at. It's friendship. It's a good conversation. It's the feeling of eating nurturing food. It's the smile you see on a small child's face as they run across the street and um, chase after a ball. It's, I mean, those are the things that I feel are true abundance. Having, and I've worked for two billionaires. Um, I've been on the staff, uh, the investing staff for two different um, self-made billionaires, amazing, both men, amazing human beings, good, good human beings. But having seen up close what it's like to be a billionaire, um, I'm telling you, like more money is not the answer. Um, Having an abundant mindset is the answer. And our modern society keeps trying to push things or extravagant experiences Mm -hmm. as the definition of abundance. And I think the definition is a lot simpler. and it's not something that you can measure. Um, and so that, that's how I've been thinking about abundance lately. Yeah. It's but, a, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, no, I was just going to say, but again, I say that with a caveat that um, my vicul- one of my three vicolpas is resisting abundance. So how, how is that the case for you? Tell us more about that. Yeah, so I mean, I think for me, the struggle is... Um, it goes back to something Ingrid was saying that I feel like it should be hard Mm -hmm. Uh, because I have worked in financial services. I practice what I preach. I'm in a very financially abundant situation, um, but I resist it because, because I followed the steps. It actually wasn't that difficult. Um, I paid attention to my 50, 30, 20. I thought about what I wanted. I used the, the hourly, um, wage tool to bridge the gap, and and I'm in a great place financially, um, but I feel like it should be harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just one person's story, but I, I, I share that because I feel like it's a practice. Um, embracing abundance is a practice, yeah. and the reason each one of us may not feel abundant or may not embrace, embrace abundance, there are you know, 7 billion different reasons. Each one of us on the planet has a different reason for it. So I think the instruct, uh, the, um, I, I'm so glad you asked that question, Lena, because I think the key part is people um, n- asking themselves, what is blocking me from feeling abundance in my life? And I think that that's a perfect segue from my question, because I feel like we can talk about abundance and like Lena, I'm, I'm trying to embrace it, learn more about it and practice it daily and not in the physical things that I have, but in like the daily things that I'm thankful for and appreciative for that I showed up. But one of the things that pops up for me is money blocks and the ideas that we have around money and how that affects my view of abundance. Um, Can we talk a little bit more about money blocks? 
Oh, sure. And money blocks are huge. They oftentimes come from, well, not oftentimes, they almost always come from stories. Mm -hmm. And they may be the stories that um, our family of origin told us. They may be the stories that were from prior generations that got handed down. Like, let's say your grandparents struggled mightily with poverty. Your parents grew up um, financially stable, but they saw that. It's, it's in their DNA and their energy. And so even though they didn't say anything to you about struggle, you grew up with that. That's part of your money story. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could be in a relationship with somebody who has a really strong money block or money issue, and then that becomes part of your money story. Mm-hmm. And my favorite book on money stories is by Dr. Kate Levinson. It's called Emotional Currency. And she's a psychologist, and I think she does a marvelous job of helping unpack. There are a lot of different tools in that book, and that's where I send people. One other thing I'll mention is that within the financial advisory community, there's something bubbling up now. Um, There's a nascent financial therapy um, designation Mm -hmm. and educational program that, um, that... Myself and and many of my peers are becoming increasingly interested in doing because we realize I can tell you till I'm blue in the face that you should save 10% of your income for retirement and put it in a low-cost target date retirement fund. But if you've got a money block, like, you're not hearing that. And so we have to address both. Mm -hmm. Um, It says, you know, to use a nutrition analogy, it's as, as if you have an absorption a problem and until we address that it doesn't matter how many supplements you take or leafy greens you eat the vitamins aren't getting there and um, it's the same thing with money Mm -hmm. I love how like to see that the underlying layer Mm -hmm. of all of this is always psychology right and and the stories you believe Mm -hmm. and sort of like the stories that you you're stuck in and that are imposed from the external world from the outer world and that are limiting they limit your potential and also when you're believing these stories you find evidence everywhere to prove your story mm-hmm. so I, I was like we, it, I, we i was at a, this like um, event for women last weekend and one of them one of the workshops was about money precisely and i saw a lot of stories about uh, like this difficulty to save because the story is that i am the person who doesn't save money Right, I'm yeah. a person who rebels and like I don't want to save money. Who who's gonna tell me how to use my? Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, use my money. So I see all of these underlying stories that it's it's powerful to overcome them, and I love how the psychology it's always down there. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'll, I'll just give you one example. I have um, I'll never forget this. Uh, a girlfriend of mine who works in financial services, very successful. She's on the sales side, um, not on the investing side. Um, but she hears enough of the investing talk that she's very well aware of how important it is to set aside money and what her options are. Mm-hmm. In a bad year, she makes $250,000. In a good environment, she can make $750,000. Um, she has, uh, at the time we were having this conversation, she had no retirement savings and was approaching 50, none. She had the most amazing shoe collection. Um, <laughs> she was dressed to the nines. Um, her grooming habits, I was like anybody would covet um, all the beauty <laughs> treatments and everything. And I asked her, like, honey, 
Like, you know, you know the numbers. Why are you not saving? And she said, you know, Manisha, it's, I, in my heart, she got married and divorced in her 20s, and she said, I think I'm afraid that if I take care of myself financially, it will be sending a signal mm-hmm. to the universe that uh, uh, the right man will never come into my yeah. life yeah. Um, to take care of me. And she said, I feel so embarrassed that I'm saying that. I consider myself a strong, independent, feminist woman, but I, I, I want... Um, I, I want a man in my life, and I want him to take care of me. I don't mean that in the sense of having him pay for everything, but it, it was this money story she had. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, it wasn't until she finally worked through that money story that she ended up meeting the most amazing man, um, and they both have incredibly successful careers, and now they have abundance and love, mm-hmm. and she's given up her money story. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's the power of money stories can be really heavy yeah I feel it's like that thing we don't want to look at is the one we the thing we have the most resistance to is the one we really need to look at and I think the universe will keep pushing us in that direction yeah the idea and I also think that for again I keep bringing all these concepts but (laughs) the idea of lack and it's because I see it so clearly also around food I have a lot of clients that overeat because they Mm -hmm. fear that they will be hungry later yeah. And, and it's sort of like this idea of hoarding, right? And, yeah. I, and I have to say, I, ha- I need to be honest and transparent. Sometimes for me, that's what happens with money. I yeah. feel like money is very limited. And, and, and if I look at my account, that those dollars have to stay there, basically, right? So like, right. how do I not spend? So it's this weird relationship with money, wanting to spend, but wanting to hoard it as well. Uh, and, and it's the mindset of lack, of like, I feel like I'm lacking. And I, th- I think that's very connected also to gratitude. I can't help but yeah. like link it to gratitude. And I thought about this, this quote that I read once in a 12-step program book that said, this person, it was a testimonial, and this person said, today I'm more focused on wanting what I have than mm. having what I want. And, and mm. I feel that sort of like the, the spirit and the attitude of, of gratitude and of like trusting the universe. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. And, you know, I think that um, lack and abundance, right, they're the flip side of the same mm-hmm. coin. And many of us fear both at the same time, which will sound counterintuitive, um, that you fear lack and you also fear abundance. Um, but I think when it comes to money, many people fear both lack and abundance. And that's why I love this 50-30-20 framework so much because it allows you to have a bit of everything, your needs, your wants, but also the, the, the safety of knowing you're putting something aside for the future. And so I feel like um, ad- addressing the, um, the, the lack, that, that 20% that over time you are building towards, most people are saving 1% or 2% of anything right now. So what you're saving towards, you know that that 20% is helping to address the fear of lack in the future. And the 30%, which is the fun stuff, however you want to define it, no rules attached to that, that helps you experience the abundance without guilt. Yeah. And then the needs piece is, is that foundational level of like what you have to have in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, your food, shelter, mm-hmm. transportation. Yeah, I feel like that perfectly quantif- for my 
type A who need to look at a number and have like an equation. <laughs> it's like perfect because it really gets at everything you need from like your right, like your left brain part of it, but from your right brain where we tend to self-sabotage, where we'll be like, right. ooh, I don't have enough. Ooh, now I have enough. How do I self-sabotage this? I think it does such a, it's such a useful tool. Um, and unfortunately, I feel like I, I hate, always hate coming to this part of the show because it's like such a rough cut, but we need to start wrapping up and I feel like we're just getting started. Um, but I love the way Lena was ending the show with like the mindset of gratitude mm-hmm. and abundance because I think that's a perfect segue to how we usually end the show, which is asking our guests, what does living a big life mean to you and what does it look like for you? Um, for me... It goes back to that triangle. Um, mm-hmm. If I have simplicity, small joys, financial independence wrapped in a beautiful bubble of, of curiosity, I got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And what's something that you're excited about? Oh, without a doubt, the True Wealth podcast, yeah. um, where wealth is spelled W-E-L-L, yeah. mm-hmm. um, bringing this concept of bringing wellness um, to the financial community. Absolutely. And then if people want to get in touch with you, want to find you, would love to use your services, how can, how, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Sure. My home base is moneyzen.com, mm-hmm. um, and all my information is there at moneyzen.com. Mm-hmm. Great, but and also, I, but also on Instagram, right? I, I, I'm Manisha Talkwar everywhere: Instagram, okay, um, Twitter, Facebook, mm-hmm. LinkedIn. Awesome. Um, yeah, we definitely recommend checking out the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's like brief episodes, but with a lot of wisdom. Pack, yeah, they're pack, juicy, very juicy, packed with information. Uh-huh, exactly. Yeah. I feel like every time I listen to one, I have to take notes. Yes, yes, <laughs> a lot of like per, like pearls of wisdom yeah. for sure. This was a great episode, Manisha. Um, uh, it will be helpful for our listeners, but it also teaches us, Ingrid and I, a lot of things that we are, have been working on personally. Mm-hmm. And Ingrid, I think like two big things stood out for me. And one is that the mindset is everything, right? When we are relating to money from a place of lack, from a pra- place of fear, right? Uh, it's very hard to achieve those goals that you want financially. Yeah. And, and, and also the power of the stories, the powers of the oh. stories of like, you should have this amount of money by the time you retire, or this is the, the type of person who is responsible financially. When we believe those stories, we, we get stuck. We get stuck. Yeah. I feel like for me, adding to that, it was, it's also around the, the overwhelm around anything, right? And when we're overwhelmed, we tend to like create the stories, start looking at it from a place that may not be the most positive and it comes from a place of lack. And what I love is that, that 50, 30, 20 rule because I think it really lets you come back to the basics and just really when we're overwhelmed, what we need to do is always come back to the basics. I do it with my clients all the time where we are inundated with information. We know what we need to do at an instinctive level, but yet from whatever reason, we're ignoring it. We choose not to look at it. We're resistant to it. But if we have a tool that lets us look at it from a financial perspective that makes sense and then we bring it back to the basics of what makes us happy what we need to save and how much money we're spending 
on our basic needs, then it allows us to move forward from an empowered place empowered rather than place. rather yeah. than feeling like we're powerless. I feel yeah. like when we're not looking at things, we give away our power. So by allowing ourselves to look at it and take our power back for the choices yeah. we're going to make, yeah. it's just and I like I like switch. the fact of the of the tool because it also forces you to be honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. Right, it's and that is taking back the reins of your life and of your mm-hmm. destiny. It's like I'm not going to ignore it, but I'm taking my, back my power of organizing my finances. Yeah. And one last thing that I wanted <laughs> to say is that I loved how Manisha demystified money yeah. when you talked about um, being it like an energy exchange, like life energy that demystifies money. It's like a knife; you can either scratch someone's car (laughs) or you can cut chop tomatoes for a pasta sauce right you can use money however you want it and it's important to demystify it manisha again thank you so much for joining us today if you liked our recent episode on weight stigma and body liberation you love next week's show We'll be talking to Christy Harrison, an anti-diet registered dietitian, nutritionist, and certified intuitive eating counselor based in New York City. She's the host of the popular podcast Food Psych. This episode is for anyone, men and women, who's tired of how food consumes so much of their mental, physical, and emotional energy. Tune in to learn how to make peace with food, break free from diet culture, and finally dedicate time to the things you care about. So thank you so much for joining us today. If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to download it on iTunes, give us a rate and review, and also share it with your friends. And if you have topic ideas or requests you'd like us to cover on the show, feel free to send us a message on Instagram. I'm Ingrid underscore wellness. And I am at live.well.way. See you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening. <laughs>